Welcome to the Equipping Webinar, where we connect discipleship, theology, and apologetics to everyday life. Welcome to the May 2017 Equipping Webinar. My name is Nathan. I'm the Director of Equipping and Apologetics here at Watermark Community Church, and I get the privilege to be the host of this. And my co-host to my left is Nika Spaulding. Glad to be here, friends. Excited for today's webinar. And then to my right is Sylvia Bateman, the, the moderator of your questions. So yes. welcome, Sylvia. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, looking forward to y'all's questions and interrupting Nathan and Nika, as always. <laughs> Sylvia's favorite thing. <laughs> and then we also, we're really blessed to have Dr. Russell Moore uh, on this webinar with us. And he is the president of the Ethics and Religious yeah. Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention. And is definitely a guy that is engaging in a lot of these issues that we're talking about today. And, and we're really blessed to have him on here. So Dr. Moore, welcome. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So Dr. Moore has written a book called Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. And a lot of times when we think about cultural engagement, especially in an ever-changing world where a lot of seemingly at least like major issues are kind of always on the news and and we're having conversations with our friends about them and in the age of social media it's popping up as well that's that can be uh, really uh, confusing to try to figure out like hey how do I accurately represent Jesus to a world that's causing me to scratch my head and and I want to do that with faithfulness but sometimes you know I, I may say something that ends up having an adverse effect or not saying anything at all and then you know what so what's going on and and so I would recommend his book Onward to you. He, he addresses these things, I think, in a really uh, insightful way that's uh, easy to read. And so I uh, would encourage you to pick that up and, and move through that. Let's just launch right into the topic at hand today. And I think before we get into some of the, the ways that we engage culture, it's extremely important that we've set a foundation for thinking about who and what we're trying to represent to culture, because a lot of times there can be some confusion around this. So, so Dr. Moore, why don't you unpack for us, what is the kingdom of God? How, how do you see that people typically think about the kingdom of God? And then how would you encourage people as they're thinking about cultural engagement to, to think about the kingdom? Well, I think a lot of times when people think of uh, the kingdom of God, they think either of heaven uh, the afterlife, uh, what, what happens to us uh, after we die, or they think of the kingdom of God in terms of um, just an abstract way of talking about whatever the church is doing. So we're, we're building the kingdom. Uh, so they think about it in, in really programmatic uh, sorts, of, sorts of terms, which is not the way that the, the Bible talks about the kingdom of God. Mm. The Bible talks about the kingdom of God Really, I think the best definition of the kingdom of God is found in the prayer that Jesus taught us, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's biblically not just the idea that God is, is, uh, that God is king in the sense that God is God and God is creator, although that's, that's certainly true. It's that God's will is being done. And so where, where the kingdom is, is where God is actually uh, ruling. And that's what uh, that's what Jesus came to do was to to reestablish the rule of God uh, through a human a human ruler. So we within the church are living right now in the time between the times, uh, which means that the kingdom has come in Jesus. We we are experiencing uh, the kingdom together within the church. Jesus is establishing his rule over us, and yet uh, the kingdom is not yet here. Uh, in all of its fullness, which is why uh, Romans 8, for instance, teaches us to be the people who groan with the creation around us. We, we, we look around and, and realize, uh, realize that we're not in a world that's being, that's being ruled the way that, that Jesus would have it to be ruled yet. And so that, that is kind of like, um, my mother is a, uh, is a kindergarten teacher, and sometimes she will have uh, kids who are in her class who've come out of really, really dysfunctional or even abusive sorts of homes. And with kids like that, one of the first things you have to do is to teach them what normal is mm-hmm. and to teach them this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. Because if you don't, then what's going to happen is those kids are going to grow up and 
relive whatever it is that, that they've lived through because they just think this is just the way you're, you're supposed to act. So if you have violence in the home, you continue that. If you have infidelity or, or whatever it is, and one of the first things you have to do is say, hey, this isn't the way that, that people are meant to, to live. Kingdom defines that for us. So we're able to say, we're able to be, have redefined for us what normal is in a way that we realize that everything we've ever known is really abnormal. Mm-hmm. And so that, that enables us to start to follow Jesus. Yeah, yeah we see that so much in the book of Matthew. And yeah, I've heard somebody say we should probably quit calling God's kingdom the upside down one and really call this world the upside down one. And he comes in and makes it right side up. But there's such the contrast between uh, the heavenly kingdom and then sort of the kingdoms that we identify here. And I say that because I think I think, too, I get that. I ask that question a lot. And most of the responses I get are, what is the kingdom I hear? Oh, it's heaven. The second one I hear is any country that's aligning itself with God's will, a.k.a. America. And I just uh, <laughs> love it a restraint on my part. And one of the things I love about your book is you talk about rather than applying, you know, some of those those blessings from the kingdom that we see in the Bible, we really should look at the kingdom as a colony here on Earth, uh, that colony being the church. And so why don't you unpack that for us? Yeah, I think sometimes uh, what people do is to uh, is to take some of the promises of the Old Testament and to directly apply them uh, mm-hmm. either to themselves individually or to or to their country uh, in a way that really does damage uh, to to the biblical witness. Mm-hmm. Then that, that's what the prosperity gospel does, uh, for instance. Uh, so you you listen to a prosperity gospel teacher on television. And what that person wants to do is to take uh, the blessings that God is promising for obedience uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, your, your crops will thrive. You will, uh, you will live long upon the earth. He wants to bypass Jesus and apply those directly to you. Mm-hmm. So if you're obedient, then you're going to have a lot of money. And if you're obedient, then you're going to. Uh, you're going to have a, a lot of, of physical wellness and, and those sorts of things. When the New Testament applies those promises to Israel for obedience to Jesus, mm-hmm. because I mean, Romans 1 through 3 is showing us uh, it's only the law keepers uh, who inherit the promises of God, and there are no law keepers. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's the problem is I've never and, been obedient a day in my life without <laughs> Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so sometimes people do the same thing with their with their countries. And mm-hmm. so they'll take uh, they'll take promises that God has made to Israel, for instance, and then they apply them to, uh, say, the United States of America and say, well, what we need is if we just have good moral values in the United States, then God's going to bless yeah. uh, the United States. Mm-hmm. When in reality, God's defined for you uh, what Israel is. It's the people who are in covenant with him, and that doesn't apply to the United States of America. Right, right. right. Typically, when I hear the kingdom of God, um, and I'm going to unpack this whole idea of just heaven um, for a minute, because I think a lot of times what people mean when they say heaven is kind of this like ethereal sky palace, you know, where people float yeah. around and we go sing. Yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they sing, I could sing of your love forever, like forever, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. and it's uh, shoot Cupid arrows at each other and stuff like that. And I, I think so there's this term that I think Daryl Miller was the first one to use it. It's called evangelical Gnosticism. And there's uh, the Gnostics were this early Christian cults kind of heresy that uh, where everything was like spiritual only was good. And there was definitely a dismissive of the material world. And I think we see that almost pretty similarly today when people think about the kingdom. And I think that that reductionism of bringing the kingdom down to just a spiritual reality only that doesn't really work itself out in the material world or in the physical world it, uh, can be really it, it hamstrings us as Christians. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on how do you help correct that and uh, paint a picture of, of the f- uh, fuller definition of the kingdom of God? Well, I think one of the things that we ought to do is, is even deal with the sort of language that we use. Mm. So if we, if we think of, for instance, an afterlife, I mean, I think about what that, what that word actually means. It's, it's kind of like what would happen if you referred to your marriage, if you're married, <laughs> as your as your after love. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to go over well. <laughs> you no, know, it wouldn't go over well. And so the idea that your your afterlife mm. uh, really betrays what I think a lot of us 
tend to think, which is that our life is what we're living right now. Mm-hmm. And then what we have coming to us later is good because you're, you know, it's not hell, uh, but it's still reflecting backward yeah. on the life we live right now. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, an endless uh, high school reunion. Uh, <laughs> oh. high school reunion. That's, I think, purgatory. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, you think about a high school reunion can be fun yeah. uh, for an hour or two. Because you're you're getting with people and you're saying, hey, remember when we did so and so and such and such? You remember uh, whatever happened to so and so? And we're we're thinking about the, all of those things that happened in the past. I think a lot of people think of what's waiting for them as that kind of thing, a, a looking backward, which means that you, you sort of what what happens is people get this idea that they have to have a bucket list, whether they you know, whether they articulate that or not, they've got a bucket list of things that they really got to accomplish or experience. Mm. Uh, and if they don't, and none of us do, uh, it, it leads to a, a great sense of disappointment and a lack of purpose. Whereas if we understand, though, what the kingdom of God is about, then that means that everything that we're living through right now is just an internship mm. for what Jesus has for us. And what he has for us is, he says, to to be joint heirs and to to rule and to reign with him. Mm. So we're actually being prepared right now through all of these things that we tend to think are accidents and uh, people we run into and uh, sufferings that we have and and jobs that we take. We think that those things are all uh, accidental, Mm. when in reality, it's God preparing us for something that he hasn't told us about yet, because we wouldn't really be able to understand it or comprehend it if he did. Yeah, that that brings up a good point, too, about that. If we if we understood the kingdom like that, then that would really shape our values now, because suddenly if we're preparing for a kingdom whose king is both just and loving and righteous and sort of those those qualities are going to are going to persist on into eternity where we will be co-heirs, where we will be a part of a just system, a righteous system, a loving system. We would value and seek to create those systems now. And so can you just speak to how we how we can inform our values in light of a fuller understanding of the kingdom? Several years ago, I was reading this um, this uh, leadership book by a completely secular, non-Christian person, and he's just giving uh, tips for how people ought to get ahead in the corporate world. And one of the things he said is always be nice to the interns. Uh, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a moral. Uh, Dr. Moore, we have an intern in the room, so just be careful. We're, we're not planning to be nice oh, to him. Okay. <laughs> be nice to him. Don't yeah. because, because the book says the reason for that is because you don't know if these interns aren't going to ultimately end up being your supervisors. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's dropping the mic over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think that, I think there's actually, the guy didn't intend it, but I think there's a, a biblical parallel there mm-hmm. because you think of what, uh, what James 2, for instance, is teaching, uh, in which James writes to churches and says, you say to the uh, rich person who's dressed mm-hmm. uh, really well, you come sit up here. And you say to the poor person, you stand back there. And he says, don't you know that God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Mm-hmm. And so if we really understand what the kingdom is about, uh, where the, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, then uh, we're going to have a different understanding of who matters than what the rest of the world does. And so when when the rest of the world tends to tell us uh, the people who really matter are the people who are useful uh, in the way that we define usefulness or uh, or powerful or attractive, the way that we define all of those things right now. If you don't understand if you don't understand sort of the long term vision of the kingdom of God, then we're going to adopt those sorts of uh, ways of looking at people and ways of, of measuring whether or not we've really succeeded in life mm-hmm. uh, in a way that ultimately is going to turn us into mean and disappointed uh, sorts of people. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we, if we really do think that, um, that what's waiting for us is our actual life, and this is just training for that, then we start to recognize, hey, that hotel maid who doesn't speak English very well, 
but she follows Christ. She's a she's a future queen of the universe. Yeah. And we we treat her that way. Or uh, the kid uh, in our congregation with Down syndrome that uh, the outside world would would say, why is he even here? Mm-hmm. Uh, why was he not? Uh, why was he not aborted? Our response is not just to say, hey, we're glad he's here because we're kind people and this is a charity project. No, this is a future joint heir with Christ, ruler of the universe, and we treat him with that kind of dignity. So we have to sort of constantly be reminding ourselves, wait a minute, the world we're in right now isn't normal. And we have a different set of uh, a different set of principles that we're following. I love the C.S. Lewis quote where he just says, you've never met a mere mortal. That there's exactly. a, every single person that you are encountering is either one, a, a son or daughter of God, um, you know, depending on the the uh, indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives or someone who is caught in the, the grips of the enemy who needs to be rescued from that. And and so it, it, exactly. yeah, I think if you have that perspective, then these seemingly random acts that you we, we try so hard to make sense of. All of a sudden, uh, and viewed in that way, become like you said, a training ground. A oh, oh, like he's serious when he says in Second Corinthians three, like you are being transformed into the image of Jesus with ever increasing glory, you know, <laughs> and that's by the Spirit. Yeah, and everything that happens, all raw data, um, is useful to Jesus through His Spirit to make continue to train you to be the type of person who would rule in his kingdom. Um, so yeah, that's really good, man. So in addition to the the word kingdom sort of being one of those words that you could throw out and ask for a definition and get many back, I think the word culture is also one of those. The only thing I know about culture is it's bad and I'm supposed to stay away from it, but maybe, maybe Dr. Moore, you could unpack that a little bit more for us. What is culture? Yeah, I think sometimes Christians, when they talk about the culture, uh, what, they, what they mean by that is the bad world uh, out there. Uh, when in reality, we, we, we don't really have a culture. We have multiple cultures around us uh, all the time. And every group of people uh, operates with at least one culture. So um, a church has a culture. A small group within that church has a culture. Um, a neighborhood has a culture. And so we're operating with all sorts of, of cultures around us. And I think I think what we mean by culture, you, know, you think of the connection between the word culture and the word cultivate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the way that human beings operate together, with all of the assumptions spoken and unspoken uh, that that come with that. Mm-hmm. And so, what a culture essentially does is a culture defines for you who's in and who's out. Um, you, you can see that. In a high school, uh, you, you've got the the um, uh, athletes, and then you've got the, uh, the the chess club, and then you've got the band, and you've got you know, different ways that people are sort of finding their their niches. Who's who's our people, and who's not our people, and then what are the things that we care about? Hmm. And a, a culture helps to create that, and and a culture can do that for good, uh, or a culture can do that for bad. Uh, or a culture can do that in ways that are that are neutral. They're, they're neither good nor bad. The the problem comes when we don't recognize yeah. uh, the way that we're being shaped and formed by by culture. So, uh, I, I'm standing here against the culture as though they're <laughs> outside of the culture. Yeah. That's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm hearing you say that people tend to look at culture as as one kind of united thing that has kind of a life of its own. And we're trying to, in some way, like manipulate that thing to make it uh, probably, honestly, look more like us. Um, And and what I hear you saying is, no, there are multiple cultures all in the same room together that are that are uh, really competing for space in a lot of ways. And that the tendency we have is to look at other cultures as the things that we'll rail against and and talk about them yeah. and 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 a lot of times caricature them because we don't understand them and and paint a false picture it's like a straw man you build up this false picture and then beat it with a stick but at the same time fail to realize that we are a part of our cult, a culture ourselves that 
is also needs needs to be formed and needs to be critically examined. And I think that's a lot of times, like you said, I mean, what we what we fail to do, we'll witness to people on the outside. But when it comes to preaching the truth to ourselves, a lot of times we we fall we fall short of that. We we fall short of that, and, and Jesus does the exact opposite right. uh, everywhere in the New Testament. So he's uh, Jesus is just very gentle uh, with the people who are clearly on the outside, mm-hmm. uh, including people who are involved in some really really awful uh, things. But he's really sharp with the people who are on the inside, the people who uh, set themselves up as being God's people. And that continues on through the rest of the of the New Testament. So in First Corinthians five, uh, Paul says it's not those on the outside that I judge; it's those who are on the inside. Mm-hmm. Well, what we want to do is just flip that around and say the things that are here among us are the things that we either don't talk about or we talk about really carefully and sensitively. But the things that are on the outside, uh, the sins that that uh, the sins or the or the cultures that least tempt us those are the things that we're going to just rail about mm. because we're not really trying to correct anything we're just trying to uh we're just trying to identify who we are mm. yeah. yeah dr moore i've heard you talk about this before and uh it takes i think it takes a lot of courage honestly because it's a lot easier for a, a pastor who's got to keep you know rears in the pews in some ways to there's a there's a uniting factor when you rail against the culture that people can rally behind, and then it becomes a lot more tender and and uh, you know delicate when you when you look inward. And yet, I mean, we see in Jesus this example of that, which I think is um, I've always appreciated about your ministry is just the call for pastors and leaders to continue to do that. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, so if, if that's our understanding of kingdom, right? There's this colony, this church that through the blood of Christ is able to to do kingdom work here. And then there's these cultures that we're engaging with that can be both neutral, positive, negative. How do we do that? How do we engage in culture, you know, as a kingdom? What does that look like? Well, I think one of the ways that we, that we do that is by consciously uh, living out a different way among ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, which, which means that we start thinking through, hey, what are the ways that the culture has really shaped our minds? So the, the Romans 12, uh, don't, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. I have to ask, uh, how, how has that happened? And so I think that, that most of the time, the difficult parts for us when it comes to that really aren't uh, sort of the big moral questions as much as they are those, those little assumptions that we never think about at all. So for instance, uh, a lot of times you will have uh, you'll have uh, uh, Christians or, or ministries that will um, that will really celebrate uh, celebrities who come to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a guy who's a, a really a well-known uh, figure in American life who had become a Christian and he wasn't telling anybody. And at first I thought, you know, this is kind of ashamed of the gospel kind yeah, of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, then, but then he said uh he said i don't want to tell anybody he said because i know if i announce that i've become a christian i'm immediately uh going to be trotted out there by christians yeah. i'm going to have to define something that i don't even perfect. know how to <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 we we tend to parade those people out uh you and, and obviously it's revealing of what we value you know yeah that, we that want we, a winner on our team we live in we a want, celebrity yeah. culture and while we rail against the bad part of it we're also exhibiting the same type of behavior you know at the same time so yeah uh dr moore obviously through the book of acts you see Paul speaking to different different groups and sort of the message that I've been taught several times is sort of this contextualization of the message, depending on if he's speaking to Jews or the Athenians. And, and I've heard you talk about, though, um, Paul continued to keep it strange, though, to keep it weird, to continue to put at the forefront of being in the kingdom means we talk about a carpenter who became God, uh, which is pretty odd for the world. And so why don't you unpack for us just the necessity to continue to be uh, it's set apart, I guess, for a better better word. Yeah, I think people misuse, uh, especially Acts 17, and uh, think that what's happening is that uh, is that Paul is trying to find this 
uh, point of neutral common ground uh, with the world on the outside uh, and trying to sort of make Christianity palatable to to people. When in reality, what, what Paul does when he contextualizes and what Jesus does when he contextualizes is the exact opposite. Uh, what, what Paul wants to make sure is that people are offended, but that they're offended by the right things. So if you look at Acts 17, Paul is talking about, uh, Paul, Paul does come and start talking about the uh, temple to the unknown God and those sorts of things, but he's there because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And what Paul does when he comes in is not to say, hey, look, we all really believe the same sorts of things and I'm not saying anything that's all that disturbing. He does the opposite and comes in and says, not even you believe the things that you're saying, because I've listened to your poets and so forth. And so I think that, you know, a way that we do that is we pay attention to the cultures that are around us and the cultural artifacts that are around us in order to say to people, now, wait a minute. It, it doesn't seem to me, for instance, when you say that uh, that human beings are just a cosmic accident and that we're just uh, we're just genes replicating one another. That doesn't seem to be what you're saying in your love songs. <laughs> it seems to be something more than that. Yeah, uh, I think that's what goes on uh, in in the book of Acts. In talking about em- embodying the kingdom to engage um, the culture, well, let's talk about it in in a negative sense first, and then we'll talk about it in a positive sense. So, what what are some of the ways that that as you've looked at the say the last hundred years? of evangelicalism um, that you've seen us embody the kingdom in, in not helpful ways. I think one of those ways is with a, um, a, a kind of uh, nationalism that identifies middle-class American culture uh, with the kingdom of God mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in all sorts of ways that are, that are unintentional. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another way that we've done that is again, by not, uh, not talking about the the sorts of patterns that we get in um, that if we were to raise them are going to be disturbing to people. So there are a number of examples of that. I mean, one of them has to do with racism uh, in American culture, uh, not only in the uh, slaveholding era and Jim Crow era, but right now. Mm-hmm. Um, another has to do with the divorce culture. And so you, you can you can just trace the way that evangelical churches have uh, preached and taught about divorce uh, over the span of the 20th century. And it changes Mm. uh, exactly with how many people in our congregations are divorced. So it kind of, I was, uh, I saw something uh, the other day about um, in the 1960s when the house of Lords in England uh, was dealing with the question of homosexuality, and they they passed a uh, a a homosexual um, uh, sort of a reform on their homosexuality laws. And someone said, "Well, we've got this law about the mistreatment of badgers uh, in hunting, and how come we couldn't get that passed when we could get this passed?" And the response uh, from someone was, "Well, there aren't as many badgers in the House of Lords." <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's I think that's really true uh, in our churches when it comes to uh, the issue of divorce. It's mm-hmm. it's not that we have said, wait a minute, uh, the way we've been talking about divorce is biblically wrong. Although in many in many cases it was, mm-hmm. it was too judgmental. It didn't give people a a, a way uh, out of of those situations. But it was because I've got too many people in my congregation that I really don't want to talk about this issue uh, at all. Hmm. And long-term, that really hurts because if people think, I can't trust you to tell me what you really think, then you're going to lose credibility and respect of of those people. And so it's in the long-term even better if people say, hey, I don't agree with you on this, but I know that A, you love me, and B, you're not trying to spin me. You're, you're really telling me what you actually believe. Long term, I actually think that even at the pragmatic level, that's better. 
Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I think that's so true, even what we're seeing in one of the conversations we have around here a lot, just millennials and why we're so messed up. And uh, I feel like I'm flying the flag of our defense a lot. But I, I think that's one of the things I've consistently told people is just, I think millennials, the ones that are returning, returning to churches are returning to church where they feel like there's authenticity and integrity where, hey, I may not see eye to eye with you on some of these ethical issues, but I, but I'm, I believe that you're not lying to me. And I think that that is going right. to be a huge uh, earmark for churches in the future just to go, I don't feel like I'm, I'm being sold something that you don't even believe. I need to, what do you actually believe? And then we can deal with our differences and our disagreements, but uh, let's have an honest conversation. I think that's so helpful. So that's sort of in the past, but um, Dr. Moore, one of the things that you've done well is you've just had in some ways a prophetic voice of looking down the road and anticipating things the churches are going to run up against. And so what, what do you see as pitfalls that we should be cautious of that we could run into in the next 100 years? Well, the main thing that, uh, that keeps me up at night is technology. Hmm. And so when, when I think about what's happening uh, technologically, both, both for good and for ill, um, but uh, the, the bad part of it is I really don't think we're thinking through uh, this stuff very well. So, I mean, for, for instance, right now, I've, I've got um, kids in our neighborhood who are the only kids that don't have iPhones with unrestricted uh, internet access. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and it's not that, the, that, that all of these kids are sort of being raised by atheist parents. Some <laughs> of them are, but a lot of them are being raised by parents who are uh, sheltering them in all sorts of ways. Uh, and even will sometimes, um, will sometimes think that I am not sheltering my children enough because, you know, we'll have conversations about various things that are going on. And, you know, I, I had someone say, I can't believe that you let your kids watch, watch The Flash uh, when there are some conversations that come up on, on The Flash that sometimes are, are sort of culturally uh, out there. And my response is to say, I think that's great. It gives me the opportunity to, to talk with my kids confidently about that. Yeah, yeah. But I would never allow my children to to be in the sort of technological space and, and world that would destroy uh, someone. Mm. And so I think the fact that we're just not thinking through and we're not having those conversations about technology is going to be really difficult when we move forward into a, uh, into a world where we're going to have to be dealing with artificial intelligence. Uh, we're going to be having to deal with a lot of things that if I were to say them right now, would sound like scary science fiction uh, sorts of uh, scenarios. Mm. But if you don't have a good set of intuitions about what it means to be human, mm. um, and, and then you're going to have problems. So, I mean, you think about the way that um, iPhone addiction, social media addiction mm -hmm. is such a, such a problem uh, for, for almost everybody to some degree or other right now. Well, what's going to happen when social media isn't something that is outside of you, but something that is actually hardwired to you? I mean, Facebook is, is working on technology right now uh, for people to be able to read through their skin. Uh, you know, there, there are all sorts of ways that, that uh, technology is being brought into the human person. So what then happens to the way that you see the world and the, the way that you uh, understand what it means to be lonely or the way you understand, you understand what it means to be connected. I think there'll be a lot of, uh, of really, uh, really terrifying sorts of challenges. And I'm not all that optimistic uh, that we're ready to handle those yeah. because I look at, for instance, the way that we're, uh, the way that we're dealing with porn mm -hmm. and uh, not doing very well. Well, porn is becoming increasingly um, uh, not just visual, but uh, engaging with all of the senses in a way that when you move into uh, the sort of um, alternative realities mm -hmm. that we could be seeing coming mm -hmm. down the road, we just we just don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah, right, right. My poor mom, she can't even do self-checkout at Walmart. She's going to get left behind <laughs> in the dust. <laughs> well, that's right. And, and even more so, if you think about, for instance, driverless cars, yeah. Uh, that are that are coming down the down the pike very soon, and when you have a, such a significant number of men 
hmm. who earn their living driving either as truck drivers or as UPS drivers or as Uber drivers or cab drivers. Uh, that sort of sudden ends to that kind of thing means that we potentially could have a lot of churches that suddenly see many of their men unemployed. And I mean, one of the things that I think we ought to have learned by now is that if you have men who don't uh, have a sense of vocation, uh, then unless they're extraordinarily mature and, and have an identity in Christ, uh, you're going to see a lot of problems coming out of that. Yeah. And so we have to be ready. Yeah, it was funny. I'm a uh, so before I worked here, I was a, I was actually in the army and uh, was an infantry officer there. And the military is set up where like when you're on, you're like on all the time, and you deploy yeah. and you constantly got a job to do. But when you're off, you're like totally off, you know. And it was funny because we used to joke uh, as leaders that it was like, hey, we have to give Joe. We just you know we refer to. Uh, kind of lower enlisted guys as Joe, like GI Joe, you know, we'd be like, mm-hmm. man, you have got to get Joe. You have to give Joe something to do mm-hmm. because if you don't give him something yeah. to do, you end up with, and I, I mean, you see it firsthand. It's like, it just breaks out into all kinds of chaos. <laughs> so I'm yeah. identifying with what you're saying because you're like, Hey, if, if we're not engaging and having these, you know, kind of uh, roles that people are used to and that shifts and even shifts very suddenly, then all of a sudden you have guys left with nothing and trying to reel reeling in such a way that they're trying to figure out like, what do I do um, that pushes them into spaces that they don't know how to deal with. And what you're left with is a lot of chaos. Yeah. Well, and you have to have those conversations ahead of time. Right. Yep. So it's, it's kind of like when I'm preparing couples for, for marriage, uh, one of the things I say is think about, the sorts of problems that you're having in your marriage and talk about those things at a good time mm-hmm. when you're, when you're you know, having a date night and everything's going well and nobody wants to do that because why do you want to ruin this <laughs> wonderful yeah. dinner? But if you, if you do that at that point though, you can get ready for mm-hmm. the, uh, the sorts of bad times in a way that can help you to navigate yeah. uh, uh, through that. And I think the same thing is true culturally. Um, We can't just address these things when they're immediately on us Mm -hmm. and we're dealing with the wreckage. We have to start talking about it beforehand and getting people. I mean, that's what Jesus did for us. I mean, John 14 through 16. He says, I'm telling you all this stuff ahead of time so that you'll know when it happens, you won't freak out. Right. uh, And you'll know that I'm here with you. I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. You manage expectations. So let's switch gears. So that's, those are the pitfalls. And I think that's so helpful, but let's talk about sort of the positives then. Cause I do think um, there, there are great opportunities to inform political and social action. And so Dr. Moore, we know through the election cycle, you got to talk about every controversial thing on the planet. So we thought maybe we'd give you a chance to talk about something that you actually enjoy talking about, which is adoption. So how, how does adoption yeah. Yeah, play into this kingdom work? Well, uh, the, the Bible tells us to, to care for widows and orphans in their distress uh, and, and to care for, uh, care for those who are vulnerable. And one of the things that I've sort of found when it comes to orphans and then when it comes to vulnerable women is that sometimes we're reluctant to do that because we, we think that we're going to be bringing a lot of risk on ourselves. And we are. Yeah. Uh, anytime that you're, you're dealing with people who have been through some sort of trauma, you're bringing risk upon yourself. But if we learn in the church what it means to be family, then that's going to inform the way that we uh, the way that we receive orphans and the way that we participate in the foster care system and the way that we care for unwed mothers uh, and so forth. And it, it works the other way, too. So I've found that churches that have really done well with um, having an adoption culture, having a foster care culture, having a, uh, an orphan care culture, one of the things that they learn to do is to be able to patiently bear with uh, the sorts of, of challenges that, that those kids have. So you, you have a church that, that knows how to deal with a kid with um, fetal alcohol syndrome is my my kids that we adopted had those churches that learn that are actually going to be better at being able to do evangelism and discipleship because it's not just 
fetal alcohol syndrome. I mean, we, we have to deal with all of the stuff mm-hmm. that we're all bringing into the church mm-hmm. uh, from all of the things that we've been through and we're going through. And when the Bible commands us to bear one another's burdens, that's what we have to do. And a lot of times churches learn that uh, as, they're, as they're working through uh, an orphan culture. Another one in, in getting down to the bare bones, a lot of a lot of times people are dealing with in practical ways that we see around here a lot um, are just trying to navigate the area of sexual issues. So uh, specifically, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about in our culture today, if you speak out on gender identity in any kind of way, I mean, that's very taboo right now. And so how as yeah. a Christian, you obviously like I'm thinking about the person who's like, hey, you know, my cousin is is a transgender. And do I do I call him by him or do I use her or do I you know what? How do I handle that to represent Christ, but also to engage this effectively? Well, I, I think what what sometimes what people want is here's um, sort of an index card that's got the this is how you handle all of those situations. <laughs> in a you way. have those for us? Yeah, we'll right. even buy them if you've got them. You need to publish that. Come on, yeah. man. Let's go. <laughs> in a way that will make us be both faithful to Christ and invulnerable to the charge of, of bigotry. Mm. And that, that, doesn't, that doesn't exist. And, and the reason it doesn't exist is for a lot of reasons. I mean, one of them is... Um, when it comes to these questions of gender identity and, and sexual orientation and, and so forth, if we're the kind of people who are driven by the kingdom and by the gospel rather than by our culture war freakouts, mm-hmm. then we're not going to be surprised that people have different sorts of vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. So the, um, the transgender person who says to you, hey, I, I, I feel alienated from who I am. Uh, biologically as a man or as a woman, that really shouldn't surprise us right. because all of us are alienated in some way or other mm-hmm. uh, from from who we've been created to be. Uh, so I think that that's part of it. The other part of it is you have to understand where am I in this conversation uh, with this person that I'm trying to be a witness for Christ to. And so that there are going to be different sorts of uh, obstacles. So you may have one person who the obstacle is that this person um, is confused about what the Bible teaches about what it means to be created male and female. Um, well, in that case, you've got to sort of lead with uh, what it means to be a creature and, uh, and that our maleness and our femaleness, that these aren't self-created, but they're God-created. We have to, to lead with that. You may have somebody else, though, that, that fully knows uh, what a Christian view of gender is, but who thinks that that means that you see him or her as a freak mm-hmm. uh, and that you think that the gospel doesn't apply uh, to this person. In that case, what you've got to lead with is uh, Jesus is not surprised or shocked by you, right. uh, and neither am I. Uh, and nobody expects that you're going to immediately uh, come to Christ and then turn into, um, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the, the, the full cultural stereotype of, of manhood or womanhood is. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, really do, it really does depend on what, what sort of thing, uh, the, what the problem is for people. And I mean, that applies really to everything. Mm-hmm. So... You, you, some people will say, well, how do you deal with um, a person who's had an abortion? Well, some of the people that I deal with who've had abortions, um, not, not most of them, but some of them have the idea, uh, well, uh, anybody that would infringe on my personal autonomy uh, and my reproductive choice is wrong. And so I, I, I come in and lead with the vulnerable unborn children and, and the, those sorts of things. Most of the people, though, that I'm dealing with who've had abortions have the opposite problem. They think this is so shameful and so secret that if anybody knew about it, they would reject me mm-hmm. and there is no forgiveness for me. Right. Well, that's spiritual warfare, too. And, and in that case, you lead with, no, Jesus, Jesus is there in, in the worst time in your life and is still uh, inviting you to come into his life. So I think you, you have to gauge that 
depending on where you see the particular obstacles of the gospel in that person's life. Yeah. So I, I lead our uh, apologetics ministry here at Watermark, and and uh, we 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 do this all the time. Um, people will come in, and I mean, just last week, uh, a girl came in who's very wounded and. Um, probably would fit the stereotype of someone that a that a Christian would look at, and, and you know, she she was kind of the embodiment of everything that we rail against, you know. And mm-hmm. she came in and and uh, was uh, was basically uh, expecting. She even said, "What do I need to do to to clean my life up so that I can be acceptable to God?" And oh, and uh, yeah. so there are you know because she's been living in and again she's been passed along in all these different subcultures that are that are you know kind of fighting for space and was confused. And so we did, you don't you don't engage someone like that. that that's that's not a discipleship issue. Uh, primarily, that's a clarification of the gospel and an evangelism question to, yep. hey, you need to engage with Jesus who who offers the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And then we can talk about what does it look like to follow Jesus mm-hmm. um, in a Jesus kind of way. And a lot of times yeah. see people make the mistake because they invert that um, even people w- well intended. Are trying to get people to change without addressing the, you know, the root issue of uh, who do you say that I am? You know, that, that yeah. Jesus is asking yeah. people. It's so. almost as if you two subscribe to this idea that the Holy Spirit will lead us in our conversations. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think the, the other thing is, too, that sometimes in our churches, what people have seen is that very thing. Yeah. Uh, unintentionally, but communicated in, in that you need to have yourself cleaned up. So the very people that we have uh, uh, forward, I actually think so much would be done with the gospel if we if we allowed the risk of people who would stand up and say, um, I believe in Christ. I'm a man who feels like a woman and I'm going to follow Jesus. But that means that every day I'm in this sort of uh, this sort of internal conflict Mm -hmm. and I need the rest of the congregation to be with me or the person to get up and say, hey, I was addicted to heroin. Mm -hmm. I'm still addicted to heroin. I'm still being drawn toward heroin. And I need all of you to to hold me accountable and to help me. And we're afraid to do that because we're afraid that people will say, oh, my word, this church uh, this church is falling apart. Yeah, yeah. When in reality, what people see is, wait a minute, this church is actually uh, for people who are sinners. Yeah. Uh, I think that that would be a huge step forward. Yeah, I think too that that just so getting back to to that girl, we engaged her with the the love of God, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, she walked away and said, "Hey, this for the very first time in my life, I don't feel judged by Christians." And that was a really That's powerful great. moment. Um, in that, I think a lot of times too, getting kind of full circle back around to the kingdom because our kingdom image is off, and also because a lot of us take on this like savior complex where Jesus has died and spilt His blood to forgive my sins, but it's my job to bring in the kingdom. Yeah. Then we we fight for these things in in ways where we expect people and even will try to force people to move along the, their journey of discipleship at a faster pace than is actually going on. And, and I think yeah. as we learn to, as we at learn a faster get, pace than we do. I mean, yeah. And so we, we hold people to a different standard and because we failed to recognize that Jesus is the King that this that his spirit indwells and empowers us and is and and his spirit is the one who is bringing about transformation and and that it's our job to be patient and agree with that process not try to get our way into it and manipulate it along so they actually get a question yeah we had an interesting thought and question come in from one of our webinar attendees it says I'm interested in your thoughts concerning the popularity of the retro interest. Is this a yearning to go back to a simpler time? Is there a yearning to move away from the technology age? And if so, how would you respond? I do think that there is a, uh, I think a couple of things. I mean, I think on the one hand, there's a nostalgia uh, in American life that wants to say, if we could just get back to some golden age, then everything would be okay. Uh, and I think that, is a form of idolatry mm-hmm. and a, a misunderstanding of of, uh, of what the gospel is, what our mission is. But beyond that, though, I do think that there is a sense of people who are exhausted uh, by their technological lives, 
uh, and who are wanting something that is deeper than that and, and uh, realer than that. Yeah. And so uh, when, it, when it comes to, you know, churches sometimes think we have to be uh, five steps uh, ahead of the culture uh, when it comes to technology. And I think at the peripheries, that's true in terms of, but when it comes to the actual worship and community of the church, the, the best thing that we have to offer is not our technological agility, but our technological um, withdrawal mm-hmm. so that people actually do have a, a time of, um, of, of silence, uh, for instance, and connectedness. I think that's important. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. I'm going to tweet about that and Instagram it and then send that around. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on social media and tweet about my silence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll put it on Facebook Live so you can watch it happen. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, hey, un- unfortunately, we're running out of time. I feel like, oh, man, we could we could talk about this for a while. But I do want to acknowledge that this is NICA's uh, last webinar with us. So this is a bittersweet time. For us, uh, we, we've been doing this for about a year and a half now and, and uh, have gotten to talk to interesting people like Dr. Moore. Absolutely. And I just want to publicly tell you, Nika, um, we really appreciate the study that you've put in to show yourself approved as somebody who accurately handles the word of truth. And we're going to miss you. We're going to miss you a lot. I mean, you bring a fund to this that that uh, makes my job easier. And uh, and we're excited about Jesus is calling Nika down into Oak Cliff to a church plant down there. And she'll be doing that starting in about six weeks. Y'all pray for Nika. And uh, again, Nika, we're going to miss you around here. Thanks, Nate. I'm going to miss you guys. It's one of my favorite things I get to do here. Yeah. So Dr. Moore, I appreciate you being the one that I go out on a high high point. I've been <laughs> yeah, looking right? forward to this for a while. Yeah. Well, congratulations and blessings to you, Nika. That Thank sounds so like an much. exciting new, new ministry. Thank you so much. Well, Dr. Moore, like I said, thank you for for your time today. I really appreciate it. As we wrestle through these issues and as as a church, we we try to grow and agree with what the Spirit's doing in our midst. It's always helpful to have somebody like you, again, who's who's uh, thinks about these things a lot, thinks about them well. And uh, and in a large way, man, I, I say this lightly, in a large way is leading the church in America and thinking about this. And so I'm grateful for your ministry. I know a lot of people listening in are as well. And so we, man, we just appreciate you and we'll definitely be praying for you and the ERLC and your family and everything that's going on. Oh, well, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, I love it. Well, join us next time. June the 16th is our next webinar. Have a great weekend and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Equipping Webinar connecting discipleship, theology, and apologetics to everyday life.